0: On that phone,
1: man.
0: Kia ora talofa namaste haere mai, and welcome to this week's episode of the Nishkeisha variety show where we're delivering a buffet of our sporting notes and nuggets and korero after another funky weekend of Kiwi sporting action prior to this we recorded our subscriber podcast which goes out to all the members of the patreon fano and to anyone who is a paid subscription on substack we did a big old yarn about the ashes we talked about the new zealand warriors and we compared vibes across the three ferns the tall ferns white ferns and football ferns so that will be live on patreon and sent out to the paid subscribers on substack this afternoon as well those are the best way to support the niche case directly, you can join the Patreon Fana, You can um, pay for a Substack subscription. You don't have to, but you can do. Then you get access to this bonus podcast every week. Otherwise, you can just uh, tell a friend, subscribe, watch, like, and enjoy all the niche case content. We do have our website, the niche case.com where you can do where you can read about our sports. And of course, if you do sign up to the regular subscription with Substack, you get our email newsletter coming at you every Monday and Friday evening, where we drop all things niche case straight to you with some bonus yarns written just for those email newsletters as well. So there's various ways to enjoy the niche case mahi. There's various ways to follow along with our Aotearoa sporting beat. And we appreciate anyone who is here with us in this moment because it's a beautiful moment to be alive in the absolute depths of winter. If only the Aotearoa Warriors knew how to play wet weather footy in Auckland that would have been great because anyone in Auckland let alone Aotearoa in the middle of winter should know how to play wet weather footy. I'm jumping the gun I need some mindfulness Nick of the wild card can you please help us out with some mindfulness to start our show
1: That I can do I can offer you up some mindfulness that um, comes from Virgil's uh, Georgics book which is obviously written in Latin so it has a few different translations but and I was looking at the this quote the initial one is fine Which is, blessed is he who has been able to win knowledge of the causes of things. That's fine. That's a nice quote. But I liked in particular the translation that turned it into a poem, uh, which goes, happy the man who, studying nature's laws through known effects, can trace the secret cause. like that one better. So there you go. Um, Seems to be just telling you if you study nature, you can understand how things work.
0: I would definitely agree with that. I'm glad you offered a clarification because I was like, it rhymes, but it's the also rhymings quite get tricky with that, eh?
1: Where you get distracted by the rhyme and then it's like, wait, but what are you actually saying? because like, they, they tend to get clouded when you have to mix and match words in order to make them rhyme. You got to sort of uh, reverse engineer them. But yeah, I assume that's what he's saying, at least.
0: I would say like any any connection to nature, any grounding or just being in tune with nature. That's alignment, that is synchronicity, and that is basically what we are here to do on planet Earth. Let's crack into some Aotearoa sport. I'm jumping the gun again. I'm going to go first and I'm going to say the White Ferns, they lost the ODI series in Sri Lanka. Or lost the first game by a big margin won the second game by a big margin i was like oh maybe the white ferns they're adapting to conditions they're learning how to play cricket in sri lanka because very few of them have been there before then they get smoked in the third and final odi chamari atapatu two centuries in the series monster strike rate the white ferns struggled to contain her and now they have an odi series loss against sri lanka in sri lanka And my take on all this white fern stuff is it's just the same white ferns we've come to know unfortunately in recent years and this is the thing to take away from this odi series t20 series still to come but for all the ways that it looks like things have changed for the white ferns nothing's really changed like they're playing they're their wins and losses are basically the same they've got a new coach and the selections are just as weird there's still a lack of confidence there's still a fragility to all their mahi and it's uh, it's disappointing but it is uh nothing new for the white ferns so i've done a big yarn about the white ferns odi series this morning on our website case.com and at the moment It's just all about the same old stuff for the White Ferns, unfortunately. And it looks like everything has changed. But like the T20 World Cup earlier this year, nothing's actually changed. And we'll see how the T20 International Series against Sri Lanka looks in the coming days. What's your leading banger from the Kiwi Sports Weekend?
1: Leading banger is that the Football Ferns have named their squad
0: for the 2023
1: FIFA World Cup, which they will be co-hosting... And one thing stands out from that squad more than anything else, that is that this squad is full strength. There are no pesky injuries, long-term or short-term. There just seems to always be a few of those, like the players who turn up and it's like, oh, so-and-so's got a, just a small niggly groin strain, they're not going to play this tour. So-and-so has busted their ACL, they're not going to play for another year. There's always a few of those banking up. Not this time. Everyone is available within reason. You know, they obviously had to, <laughs> didn't coax Abby out of retirement or anything, but that's different. Um, everyone is available. That has literally never happened for Yuka Komplover as football ferns coach. Like if you want, the, the record may not be fantastic for her, but if you look at things, there's two major um, asterisks that I think personally um, absolve her of any immediate blame. One is that they've played a lot of teams ranked higher than them. So like, what do you expect? The other one is that She's never had a full-strength eleven to be able to choose from. There's always been a key player missing. Like, how much depth do you think we have? But that's not the case here. Um, Anneli Longo's recovered from her ACL injury. Bria Percival recovered from her ACL-slash-meniscus tear injury. Um, Players like Liv Chance, Bessie Hassett, a few others had sort of, like, you know injuries. Aaron Naylor's another one had injuries coming into the naming of the squad. They've all fit enough to be selected. No dramas there, which meant some decisions had to be made that were probably... little bit tricky and the bravest of them was um was leaving out Michaela moore who for her it was just a case of you know she had a year at liverpool then the year at glasgow city where a couple injuries but also just not really being full strength i mean not getting big minutes at club level which meant not having that match rhythm which meant being a little bit less uh dominant at, at football ferns level and then other players coming through you know and then having been injured for most of the last six months as well means there hasn't been an opportunity to just bank up some form and and, and make a statement so you know that's kind of how it goes there's um, someone had to miss out and I think one of the exciting things about that is it's, it's rough for Michaela Moore who did her Achilles on the eve of the last World Cup so was missed out through injury and then through selection on consecutive World Cups having been you know a regular throughout um, around those two but I think it's a little bit tough for her, but also exciting overall for Kiwi football is that it's not just that can Michaela Moore play some more football and get back into the squad. It's like to get back in the squad, you also have to edge out like Kate Taylor, who didn't make it, um, Mackenzie Barry, who didn't make it, Marissa Vandermeer, whoever else might come around in the next World Cup cycle too. Like, And these are just defenders, you know? Um, that's exciting. There are two midfielders Longo and Percival coming off ACL injuries I mean they needed a little bit more cover at centre midfield so I wasn't expecting Daisy Cleverly to make the 23. I thought she probably deserved to as one of the 23 best players but just the balance of the squad I wasn't expecting that but I think you kind of probably had to play it safe with two players coming off long term injuries in that position. Also good to see them pick an extra attacking option rather than a defender. I think you just need that variety on the bench in a, in a World Cup kind of thing. you you're more likely to be in a situation where you want to have a few extra strikers to choose from in the last 20 minutes than to want to pick on it, bring on an extra fullback or something like that. Um, there are four players in the squad with 100 plus caps. There are four players in the squad with fewer than 10. There were also four players in the squad who have between 30 and 80 caps. So that's a big chunk of the thing of where like players would be in their peak, sort of in that 30 to 80 cap range, about where you're coming into that thing where you've been around the team long enough. Um, you've, you know, you're probably playing your roundabout your best football. You're not over the top yet. You're sort of right in that sweet spot. Only four players in that spot because that's kind of that middle class kind of um, ignored area that the football ferns uh, have had exposed with a few retirements since the last one. But um, we're building towards those things. Shoutouts to Anelie Longo, Rhea Percival, and Ellie Riley, who are all off to their fifth World Cup. Their football firms play against Vietnam in a friendly game on Monday evening in Napier, which will be a a funky one. That is their last public game. There'll be like unofficial closed door games, I assume, before the World Cup itself. But that's their last public game, their last official game before the World Cup. Looking for an overdue win there, get some momentum to take into the World Cup itself, which begins 10 days after that against uh, Norway at, at Eden Park. So yeah, it doesn't get much bigger than this
0: gotta watch out for those uh pitch invaders down in napier just yes i've heard, heard uh folk and security there's uh <laughs> they love running on the pitch in the hawks bay uh next up for me had a bit of time to really sit with the warriors loss to the rabbitos i've written about it um really digested what was what had happened it was an unfortunate loss i think the warriors they've got two of these losses wet weather footy losses uh this season and i don't yes i uh, there were some decisions that didn't really embrace wet weather footy like the makeup of their bench and stuff that we talked on the subscriber podcast but also i think the warriors their style of footy they are just better suited to not monsoon conditions even though they're from Auckland, they should understand monsoon conditions in winter. I don't think they're suited to it. But I do have some indicators on Warriors footy that weren't on display against the Rabbitohs. And these can be taken to any NRL team, I reckon. Um, that are key indicators of how the Warriors play their footy, what's working well, and what they do when they win. The first is the split and kicking. I think the kicking numbers for the Warriors was Sean Johnson had 15 kicks and Luke Metcalfe had one kick. The Rabbitohs had Cody Walker and Lachlan Ilias splitting the kicking duties evenly. Uh, one of them had 12 kicks, the other had 13 kicks. Now that's important in any rugby league team, especially NRL teams, let alone wet weather footy. If you've got two different kickers offering two different kicking games, and the Rabbitohs had three or four other dudes with multiple kicks, then you can control the game and you can also create points from your kicks as well. The second is the 10 meter per run mark. The Warriors did not have many blokes averaging 10 meters per run. Usually, the whole back three are 10 meters per run. You've got Fanua Blake, you've got anyone else, they all hit the 10 meter per run mark. Against the Rabbitohs that didn't happen and if you don't have many blokes averaging 10 meters per run you're going to struggle to get down the other end of the field. But you're just going to lose the battle of uh, territory let alone when that is compounded by having one dude do all the kicking. Because you can load up on pressure on him, he's kicking from his own 40 meter line, rinse and repeat then you're stuck in your end of the field as the Warriors were against the Rabbitohs. The last one is specific to the Warriors. Tohu Harris and Dylan Walker need to have at least 10 passes each. Harris had 10 passes against the Rabbitohs but Dylan Walker only had 1 pass. And I think the Warriors need Dylan Walker having more passes than runs. When they're at their best it might be Tohu Harris has 20 passes, Dylan Walker has 15 passes. That is Warriors footy. That is the best... That is the clearest indicator of the Warriors shifting the footy... Getting to where they want to get to on the field. It involves a lot of passing from Toe Harris and Dylan Walker. Because if Dylan Walker's got more runs than he does passing... Then he's just a running forward. And he's... He can do that. But that's not his strength. His strength is his speed and his skill in the middle for the Warriors. And... We, like against the Rabbitohs, Dylan Walker was basically playing as a prop, and in wet weather footy, if you're loading up with Dylan Walker as a prop, you're probably going to lose that uh, battle of the middle equation. And the Warriors were light on big boppers against the Rabbitohs for wet weather footy, but if anyone watched the New South Wales Cup game beforehand, Zion my U, he is an absolute monster. He runs, said it plenty of times, he runs like a psycho. But he's actually a prop who runs like a psycho. Which is far more funky than the wingers running like psychos. Zion my U'U, he can help wet weather footy. So can Solomon Vasuvulangi. He's bigger and he's also quite mobile. So watch out for them. They are two players who I can see helping the Warriors in those real physical encounters in the future, lest we forget the Warriors. They were also missing Marataniakore and low key of Sifakula. Because he's someone else who brings a lot of physicality to the middle and the Warriors didn't have him either. So there you go. What else you got?
1: Number two is that they did it. The Tall Ferns, they did it. They went to the Asia Cup. They said, We're trying to finish fourth here. If we can finish fourth place It'll keep us alive in Olympic qualifying, get us into one of those qualifying tournaments uh, I think later in the year or maybe early next year, and it would also be their best ever performance at an Asia Cup, having finished I think 6th, 5th and 5th in their previous opportunities, and they did it. Uh, So don't freak about the last two games where they got thrashed by Japan and then also Australia in the fourth place, 3rd and 4th place playoff, um, got thrashed by China in the group stages too, don't worry about that, they you know there's a talent gap between those nations and and Aotearoa, which is not going to be overcome by like good intentions and hard work rate and stuff like that there's just factors they're better than us so it goes but those are top 10 teams in the world um what the Torfans did do is they won against all the teams outside the top 10 that they played including South Korea who in the first game set the tone for their entire tournament with that fantastic closely fought win uh, blew them out in the first half and then closely fought in the end which was you know, I talked about this last week great great victory set the whole thing up beat Lebanon later on to ensure they qualified in second place although only just because Korea took China to overtime um, and then had a really tricky game in the crossover against Philippines which was um yeah, the Philippines were just smaller, but also faster, and just played really quick, really chaotic basketball, and the Tall Ferns, who like to get into their sets, play nice half-court, moving the ball around a lot, were having a lot of trouble against that. It was difficult. But that's where 34 points from Charlize-Ledger Walker comes in very handy. That was the highest-scoring individual game of the entire tournament for any player, for any team. Um, sent the Tall Ferns through in Olympic qualifying, sent them into the top four of the Asia Cup, um, Tara Reid also had a fantastic game in that one too. So yeah, forget about the semi-final and the bronze medal game. Those were just bonuses. Overall, Charlie Sledger-Walker, second top scorer in the entire competition. Um, Panina Davidson was second for rebounds and made the All-Star 5, which I believe is the second Asia Cup in a row. She's done that. She was in the All-Star 5 last time as well. Um, and yeah, Tara Reid, uh, Talia Tupaya, Stella Beck, um... Taylor Dalton, um, even like a young player like uh, Ratoya Tamilo coming off the bench as an 18-year-old and doing a few things in a couple of those games. It's, it's a lot to like about this team. It was young and it was inexperienced, but it also feels like a core of a Tall Ferns team that is building towards getting better and better into the future. And this hopefully this fourth-place finish in Asia Cup can maybe not be the... Um, not be the sort of like pipe dream maybe become a bit more of the expectation in the future if they can nudge their way up the rankings a little bit more um, always played hardy defense and yeah bright future ahead I will say shooting remains an issue turnovers as well bit of an issue of course that was exaggerated in the games against the better teams so it goes but yeah as uh, Good, good stuff from the Tall ferns. and I'm also willing to go on the record now and announce this she's already played 30 odd times for the team but this felt like a breakthrough tournament where it's like not just playing but dominating now um, so I'm willing to announce this as the, the dawn, this tournament, this 2023 Asia Cup was the dawning of the era of Charlize Sledge Walker dominance for the Tall Ferns and not just for the Tall Ferns but across international basketball, Why hot and soon to be in the NBA, uh, WNBA as well
0: I was watching the Roosters lose to the Manly Seagulls however the Roosters had Siwa Wong make his debut long awaited debut for Siwa Wong he's from Auckland he's already represented Fiji Um, all my research suggested that he went to Mount Albert Grammar School then he got recruited by the Roosters went across and got into their system and he made his debut Uh, I wrote last year that Siwa Wong played every level of rugby league except NRL last year so, SG Ball, Jersey Flag, New South Wales Cup, International. Now he's got the uh, NRL debut to go with it. But there were a couple like Siwa Wong is just part of a young Roosters wave from Aotearoa that I'm really interested in. Uh, Nofahu White. I think the best Roosters team has Nofahu White in that team. Either starting edge forward, maybe starting lock or coming off the bench. But he is really impressive. He's been in and out of the Roosters NRL team all season. I'd like to see him stay in the top 17 consistently. He's really good. He's from Kelston Boys High School. So is Junior Ponga. Junior Ponga on the wing for the Roosters. He's been on a bit of a journey. Came up through the Warriors system under 20s. Then he went to Queensland. Um, The Tigers recruited him from Queensland where he was playing with Wynnum. Praise Ja. That Junior Ponga got out of the Tigers. Goes to the Roosters. And now he's starting on the wing. And I think the reason Junior Ponga. Is a better winger for the Roosters than Jackson Polo. Jackson Polo Northcote Junior. Who is now signed with the Manly Seagulls. Not that the Manly Seagulls need any more outside backs. What's doing? But uh, Junior Ponga. He's a bit quicker. He's a bit more agile. He's He's very powerful for his size. And I think that bit of speed. Helps the Roosters as well. Uh, Joey Manu was excellent at right center for the Roosters. That's his best position apart from fullback when he's playing for the Aotearoa Kiwis. And the Roosters didn't... Uh, Jared Whitehead Hargreaves, sorry, was playing that game. But the Roosters didn't have Satili Tupanoya or Brandon Smith. And anyone who's been following the case on Twitter, Instagram. Got the YouTube shorts as well. You've been seeing the clips. Savita Henare-Schuster from the Manawatu region. He's on the wing for their jersey flag team. He is excellent. They've got Cassius Tia in the halves from Auckland. Maris Jr. They've got Benaya Aewalu. He's uh, from Otara. He's a hooking prospect coming through their system, let alone Salisi Fokete. He's a Manurewa Jr. who has been playing jersey flag as well. Layers of Kiwi NRL youngsters in that Roosters team to keep an eye on. What else you got?
1: yeah my uh third listing here a few jewels from the old diamond league athletic meets over the weekend which i mean there were there were two of them there were two big meetings one was in lausanne switzerland one was in stockholm sweden and you know how they do these things where it's like some events will be at one other events will be at the other so they sort of hold them within a week of each other and there were several kiwis involved normally only just kind of get tom walsh and maybe a runner or two sort of thing there were there were heaps here at this one which was great and everyone seemed to be doing really well most of all Hamish Kerr high jump won won his event in the high jump he was the first Kiwi to win a Diamond League um, event stage since uh, since 2021 so a couple of years since Tom Walsh and Valerie Adams both won shot put events there Hamish Kerr did it in the high jump that was beautiful doubt there are too many others ever really to have won Diamond League um, individual events I will have to do the research on that because I haven't done it yet but you know great work from Hamish Kerr Keep in mind, all the stuff is being said in the context of there is an Olympic Games next year as well. So this is right about the time you want to start breaking into that career based form. Uh, Tom Walsh himself finished second. It's um, it is one he's had two second place finishes this time. The I think 21.99 was his distance which was fine except that all mate Ryan Krauser was competing so Walsh was about 50 centimeters ahead of anyone else in the field but Krauser was about 30 centimeters ahead of Walsh and all five of Krauser's counter throws were further than 22 meters which is slightly better than Walsh's peak so so it goes but that's another good solid effort from Tom Tom Walsh there's no shame in being beaten by the best shot putter of all time you know the multiple olympic uh winner and the um world record holder also great to see Eliza McCartney back she finished third another podium finish three podium finishes over the weekend another podium finish for a Kiwi Eliza McCartney third in her pole vaulting event um just great to see, like brilliant after coming back from so many injuries after such a long time, and this is again like another one we just getting back right at the right time to get a year's run in towards the Olympics. Chuck in some uh, long distance runners and in, in the form of George Beamish and Sam Tanner, both their top five finishes and their efforts, sweet as. However, the most consequential Kiwi athletic event of the of the weekend was probably one that happened outside the Diamond League. Uh, Zoe Hobbs did. Have a Diamond League race. She ran a solid fifth place in Lausanne in the women's hundred meet. Um, yeah, women's hundred meters. Just another good, good, decent effort considering her great form over the last year. Um, however, she hung around in Switzerland because a few days later there was another meeting, not a Diamond League one, but just a sort of general athletics meet. And there, in her heat, she ended up. I think she. She won the whole thing, actually, in that thing. But how, however, it was the heat that really counted, because in her heat, she ran a 10.96, meter, um, 10.96 second personal best, beat her personal best that she set earlier this year, a couple months ago, which was a 10.97, which also means not only personal best, but of course, New Zealand record, Oceania record as well, on top of that, extending her best. And most importantly, Olympic qualifying time. Cracked in under the margin, which means that she will be the first Kiwi female sprinter to go to an Olympic Games since 1928. Just the second overall. Like, you think how long ago, it's nearly 100 years ago. Like, 1928 is round about the time that they started getting talking movies, you know? (laughs) It's right at the end of the silent era. That's how long ago that was. Zoe Hobbs doing some absolute historical stuff there.
0: I'm sticking to the NRL flavour and I just want to highlight some of the Kiwi N R L Raiders, because the Raiders also had a win. I think they had a win over the Titans in the NRL. Uh Raiders have won four of their last five games, eight of their last ten games. So the loss for the Raiders against the Warriors was a point of difference. That's their only loss in the last five games. So that tells you what the Warriors did against the Raiders. But really enjoying Raiders footy. Matthew Tomoko at center. He's playing the best footy of his career. So is Joseph Tarpene. And with Jordan Rapiner, these three fit into like the Aotearoa Kiwis equation. I've got Joseph Tarpane in my top three Kiwis middle forwards. The best rotation I've got is Moses Liotta, James Fisher-Harris, the Panthers starting prop duo. And then you've got Joseph Tarpane in there as well. Like that's the big three. Lots of depth. Mention Wade Hargraves before. You can throw in anyone else you want as well. But those three are the three. Joseph Tapani, Fisher-Harris and Liotta. This is actually a career high meters per game for Joseph Tapani this season. 166 meters per game against the Titans. Six tackle busts. Nothing major. 108 meters and 43 tackles. No missed tackles for Joseph Tapani. He is exceptional in the middle for the Raiders. Matthew Tomoko. Last season, Matthew Tomoko... He averaged a very quiet just a quiet 109 meters per game. Now he's up to 157 meters per game and he's on track for to p- surpass his tri-assist and line break tally from last season. Matthew Tomoko, Jordan Rappene is in the same vein of form but his form isn't statistical. Jordan Rappene's form is just like he's everywhere. He does everything. He pops up at the right time, right place and makes the right play can't go wrong with Jordan Rapina watching Jordan Rapina play footy Rapina and Tamoko they're in this like Aotearoa Kiwis outside back depth that I can't come up with my best combination but you've got Manu, Nikol Klokstar as fullbacks uh, Rapina's in the wing equation with Jermaine Sako, Ronaldo Molitalo and Dallin Watane Zelezniak so I don't like you select three players out of those five players or six players sorry i don't know how you do it like you can say rapana at fullback maybe you go joey mano at center and nickel clockstar full at center but then you got matthew tomoko matthew tomoko deserves to be a starting center for the aotearoa kiwis so then it's like okay we go mano at fullback tomoko at center nickel Clockstar at center but then i've got four wingers trying to fit into two positions it's absolutely crazy um but they are all there and also shout out to Ata Mariota. He started at prop I think in that game. He is a beast and he's also from Manurewa. I think he came up through Manurewa High School. Then he got recruited to go across to the Raiders. So he is now firmly in that Raiders top 17 as well. Your turn.
1: I've been waiting... A little bit impatiently, actually, for some of the sort of transfer dominoes to fall with the flying kiwis football guys um, and girls. Although I think with the women, we we'll have probably probably got to wait till the World Cup um, gets done before clubs really start cracking into the the transfers and stuff. There, I think that might just be one that has to wait another month. However, July first is the day where. People whose contracts were expiring officially become free agents. So I was, you know, waiting, waiting patiently for that stuff to start cracking into it, and we we've got we're, we're there now, and the first of those dominoes has fallen with Max Krookham. I mean, I, I guess you could count guys like Staminich and, um, you know, Thomas and uh, and uh, Garbutt re-upping with their clubs, but that's like sort of we knew that months in advance. I'm talking about the new the, the new window stuff, and yeah, Max Krookham has joined Burton Albion on a two-year deal. He left Grimsby Town as a free agent, having played all 59 games for them last season, played every minute of every game across every competition, which is absolute insanity. Um, So he's leaving a guaranteed starter spot, but he is also moving up from League 2 to League 1. So he's jumping up a spot in the pyramid Gudjahn should also remain a starter at Burton Albion for two clear reasons. One is that Burton Albion at the point at the time of signing Crocom have no other goalkeepers currently in their roster, so that stacks up that he'll be playing goalkeeper for them. And then also their manager, fellow by the name of Dino Mumria, actually managed Max Crocom several years ago at the start of his career when they were both at Stockport County in non-league football, so it's a bit of a reunion, a few few spots up the divisions there, nice upward move for a bloke whose all-white chances have probably never been as strong as they are right now, never been sturdier given that Ollie Sale didn't quite grasp onto those gloves and the opportunities he's had so far, he's made a pretty much a lateral move to Perth glory um, Nick Zanev was in the most recent squad as well, there have been some rumours of him, he's been playing League 2 with AFC Wimbledon he used to play League 1 but they got relegated the year before last, um been some rumors of him maybe going to blackburn in the championship we would probably have to be a backup but it would also mean you know jumping up a couple of divisions jamie searle is at barnsley he was their third choice keeper in league one last year he looks like doing some research there looks like he's probably going to be backup this year it seems like a couple of the guys one was on loan and one of the other keepers has left and um, they still have the starter from last year, but still looks like he m- will hopefully be the backup. Meanwhile, other guys who've been in squads more recently, Michael Vald just needs to move. He's not getting games in Japan. Stefan Marinic doesn't even have a club. You do have Alex Paulson and case Sims. U-team standouts at the moment um, for the under-23s, and also Sims still for the under-20s at the last World Cup. Feels like a wide-open race for goalkeeping right now, and that's even before considering... Uh, whatever the impacts of baseball might be, with Darren Baisley having been announced as the new permanent manager for the All Whites. Didn't have time to talk about it in this because it happened while we were recording our subscriber pods. So um, I'll have to formulate some ideas and write about that in the in the future. What do you got next?
0: My last note is Mitchell Santner being really good at cricket. In the T20 Blast, Mitchell Santner's got 11 wickets and an average of 29, RPO of 7.3, but with the bat. Mitchell Santner's got 391 runs at an average of 35 and a strike rate of 152. He's absolutely whacking bombs. Uh, I think he's playing for Worcestershire in the T20 Blast. This comes after Mitchell Santner. I don't know if many people have... Now we're seeing the whole Spark Sport situation. I'm not sure how many people really tapped in with Super Smash Cricket, but Mitchell Santner... Was the MVP of back to back Super Smash Championships for Northern Districts. Partly with the bat, partly with the ball, but right now in the T20 Blast, he's got 391 runs at a strike rate of 152, and that is going to be useful at an ODI World Cup coming up. Your last Kiwi Sports note.
1: Last one, I, last couple weeks I've been doing this spot. I've just had like MBL notebook stuff and just running through a few ideas. This week, there's only one idea. I just want to talk about Rob Lowe. Because Rob Lowe putting up astonishing numbers for the Auckland Tour Tata. In 15 games, he's averaged 21.1 points. 11.5 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 2.0 steals, 2.3 blocks. So he's at least two on every one of those five stats. He is shooting 59% from the field, 44% from three, 72% from the free throw line. Maybe needs to up his free throws um, just a little bit, because the other two are like world-class numbers. He has not scored less than 13 in any individual game this season, and the game in which he scored 13, he had a season high 10 assists. <laughs> he has only had one game all season in which he shot less than 50% from the field. Only had one game this season without a double-double. He has at least one block in every game. He has at least one steal in all but two games. He has at least 23 points in his last seven games in a row. His Tortada team have won 10 games in a row. They are top of the ladder. Forget about all the imports. That bloke right there, Robert Lowe, he is your MVP of the season.
0: Musical Jam. We've got a new project from Al the Chemist. The Al Chemist that is a mandatory listen the alchemist flying high ep nice and tightly packed as most of his projects are Uh, you've got guest appearances from earl sweatshirt baldy james tf is a recent addition to the alchemist stable as well that's always a good jam l the chemist we've also got dallas tamira the lead singer guy for fat freddy's drop he's got a new jam leaning which is always a good jam. You cannot go wrong with the greatest musical act out of Aotearoa, Fat Freddy's Drop, specifically Dallas Tamaira, new song "Leaning." Your musical jam.
1: Yeah, I got similar actually. I got a couple here. One, one local and one foreign. Uh, the foreign one is the Alalas who got a new band, a uh, new well, new album coming out. There's two actually singles, two lead singles that have come out. There's sort of like a. San Francisco-y, let's call them surf rock, like throwback kind of twangy guitars and stuff, real like breezy summer day tunes. I've loved their work in the past. Um, We'll love their work in the future. They're just a great band. And then the local one, Clementine Valentine, new new song um, called, I think it was called Time and Tide, and it's the second single off their upcoming album. Clementine Valentine used to be known as Purple Pilgrims, and they did an album or two, it's, there was one in particular a couple years ago which was really good. Really loved it. Kind of like a synthy pop kind of, but with a bit of a like uh, I don't know, a bit of a gothic edge, I suppose. Something along those lines. Um, like, loved what they've done in the past. They've uh, rebranded as with a new band name, Clementine Valentine. Couple new tunes out there that are fantastic. There we go.
0: Big up yourself. Big up, Hal Te Aroa and just do your best in the middle of winter we're out here we're trying as are you stay safe kia kaha stay beautiful church